Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. in the prayer room we've been singing about the blood of Jesus and uh, his blood speaks a better word over our lives and so today I uh, I want to talk about Christ's all-sufficiency that is a pretty big topic I could be preaching on that for the rest of my life and that's what I plan on doing um, but I hope to give you a, an overview, uh, a less than a drop of his glory. <laughs> um, we're all good. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Thank you. Um, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles, John chapter 3, I'm looking at verse 31. As you turn there, I want to read you something that I read this week reading this uh, little book. It's uh, three sermons on the verse in Song of Solomon that says, uh, Christ is altogether lovely. And uh, Thomas Watson, the first uh, sermon here, he's one of the old Puritans. He says of the blood, Christ is lovely in his sufferings when he makes expiation for our sins, so uh, atonement for our sins. But how can he be lovely in his sufferings? Lovely when he is buffeted, spat upon, and smeared with blood? Oh, yes. He was most lovely upon the cross because then he showed most love to us. He bled love from every vein. His drops of blood were love drops. And more, the more bloody, the more lovely. The more Christ endured for us, the more dear he ought to be for us. His blood is his banner over his people. And his sacrifice was all sufficient. And so when we take the body and the blood, when we come to the communion table, like Andrew said, this is no mere ceremony. This is more than symbolic. But Christ is present with us as we partake of the body and the blood, as we remember his sacrifice. Throughout the New Testament, we're reminded to remember the gospel because we forget it every 30 seconds. Not the, not the points of the gospel, the head knowledge about the gospel, but we stop believing in the gospel very often, more often than we would even want, care to express. Every time we feel inadequate and therefore we don't come to God, we don't come running to him in our time of need, we have forgotten the gospel. Every time we keep Jesus at an arm's distance, we have forgotten the gospel. Because the gospel is free. It is a free gift to anyone that would believe. And so today I want to talk to you about his all-sufficiency. Every single thing that you come into this tent in need of today, Christ will supply that need. Because he is all sufficient. He is altogether lovely. (laughs) As born again saints, we are really doing two things at all times. Our calling is to do two things at all times. It's to be fellowshipping with the Lord himself and proclaiming his excellencies. Those are our two things now. That's what we do. You don't know what you're called to do? That's what you're called to do. To look at Jesus, to behold him, to savor him in every possible way, and then proclaim his excellencies to everyone around you and to your own soul when you forget, right? David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. 
and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He was reminding himself. He said, forget not all his benefits. He was talking to himself. Forget not all his benefits. The one who forgives all your iniquity. The one who heals all your diseases. The one who saved your life from the pit. The one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The one who renews your youth like the eagles. He's talking to himself. Remember, remember how good your God is. He is all sufficient. We pray because he is our source and we preach because he is our message. We pray because he is our life and we preach because he is our love. We pray because he is our desire and we preach because he is our delight. And so I want to take a look at John chapter 3, verse 31. Speaking of Christ's all-sufficiency, uh, continuation really of the, the last two messages, the one before Andrew's last, I talked about the forerunner anointing as those that carry the, um, the mantle of forerunning the return of the Lord. And what does that look like? It looks like proclaiming the gospel. It looks like saying there is one coming. And we point to Jesus over and over again. And so we see here um, in John chapter 3, John the Baptist is speaking. And it's actually very interesting. The quote of John the Baptist in my Bible, in the ESV, it ends at verse 30. But if you read in the King James or the New King James, it quotes it as John the Baptist all the way down to verse uh, 36. Uh, very interesting. Doesn't really change much. <laughs> but uh, either way, it was either John the Beloved or John the Baptist that said this. Um, but either way, it is the culmination of John's realization that he must decrease and Christ must increase. And then we pick it up in verse 31, who says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. Father, I ask right now that you would give us a grander vision of Christ. I ask that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would rest upon us. That it would open our eyes, enlighten our eyes, the eyes of our hearts to see you truly for who you really are. God, blow our minds today. Take us beyond what we thought was possible and let us see that Christ is above all. In Jesus' name, amen. So the beloved or John the Baptist, one of them, they're saying Christ, he is from above. He came down from above, so he is above all. Everyone else is from the earth and they speak in an earthly way, but he who comes from above is above all. Jesus. In order to be true to the calling of being messengers and forerunners, we must move out or we must move into the way that John the Baptist proclaimed the all-sufficiency of Christ, how the beloved preached the all-sufficiency of Christ. There is no other message. We must decrease, he must increase. <laughs> I heard someone say one time, like, we can't say that. I don't know why they said that, but we can't say that. We need to incre uh, decrease and Christ must increase. Um, but we must. <laughs> we must get out of the way. When people see us alone in ourselves, it brings no help to anyone. But if they can see the Christ in us, it's the hope of glory. So we must decrease. Every area of our lives must be conformed into the image of Christ. So I pray that I would lift... Christ high above everything as the scripture says he is above all I want to read some quotes I, I really love reading dead guys <laughs> but they're actually all more alive than any one of us are right now for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and so Charles Spurgeon he said the motto yeah <laughs> the motto of all true servants of God must be we preach Christ and him crucified a sermon without Christ is like a loaf of bread without flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir. Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. 
<laughs> he said, leave Christ out. Oh, my brethren, better leave the pulpit altogether. If a man can preach one sermon without mentioning Christ's name in it, it ought to be his last. Certainly the last of any Christian ought to go and hear him preach. He's got a lot of these. He said it in almost every sermon. He's preaching on something, and he's like, guys, if you forget Jesus, it's not worth coming. It's not worth being together if we're not going to lift his name up, if we're not going to hear that lovely name in our ears. It's not worth it. Listen to this one. Jesus crucified should be the alpha and the omega of all our preaching and teaching. Woe to the man that makes anything else the main subject of his ministry. If you have left out Christ, there is no manna from heaven, there is no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you have left the sun out of the day, the moon out of the night, you have left the waters out of the sea, the floods out of the river, and you have left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body, you've left the joy out of heaven. You've robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth, worth thinking of much less proclaiming in Jehovah's name if Jesus is forgotten. We must have Jesus. And that's why I love being here, because Christ is our source. Christ is our substance. Every time Pastor Andrew preaches, it's Christ, 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 and we fall more and more in love with him. We must have him. He is the fulfillment of all desire. He is the pinnacle of satisfaction and pleasure. C.S. Lewis said, the, the problem with man is not that he desires pleasure. It's that he does not desire pleasure enough to find it in Christ. For he is the highest pleasure. John Flavel, another Puritan, he said, Christ is the very essence of all delights and pleasures, the very soul and substance of them. As all the rivers are gathered in the ocean which is the meaning place, the meeting place of all waters in the world, so Christ is that ocean of all true delights and pleasures. John Owen, another one. <laughs> is the soul dead? Christ is its life. Is the soul weak? Christ is its strength. Is the soul ignorant? Christ is its wisdom. Is the soul guilty? Christ is its righteousness and justification. Many poor creatures are aware of their needs, but do not know where to find the remedy. Indeed, whether it be life or light, power or joy, it is all wrapped up in Christ. And the last one, the guy who I just read from in Altogether Lovely, he says, Christ does not lack beauty. Men lack eyes. It is not that he is not altogether beautiful. It is that we are blind. That's the problem. So, Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes today to see you in all your glory. Everything that's accessible to us this side of eternity, everything that this frail body can take this side, would you open our eyes to it? In Jesus' name. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards said, it wasn't, before Christ, it wasn't that if man saw the glory of God, they would die because of Christ, uh, God's holiness. It was that they would die because the joy would be so high that our mortal bodies wouldn't be able to take it. We would just explode. He's glorious, guys. We must see him. Right? The old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what we do. We look upon Jesus. We behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's our only job. is to look at him. And then when we see him, we just yell about how glorious we, he is. This is what we do as believers. He's our life. We must see him. We must behold him. He is all sufficient. Why are we looking anywhere else? We need to let go of lesser things, lesser pleasures, for everything that is needed finds its true meaning in Christ. So to emphasize anything outside of Christ without explaining that Christ is from whom, through whom, and for whom that thing exists is to miss the point entirely. Many 
there's many topics that circulate in the body of Christ around the world and America specifically. We see a lot of people are always talking about relationships and um, how we deal with one another or um, people like to talk about themselves a lot. <laughs> but this is only because we have not had a great revelation of Christ. For if we see him, we'll stop talking about ourselves. <laughs> we'll stop talking about 10 steps to better relationships. That's not what needs to come across the pulpit. What needs to come across the pulpit is Christ. Because he is how all, all of us can love one another. It's the only way we could have unity. Is the, the A.W. Tozer quote. Is, he says, have you ever noticed that 100 pianos are tuned to one tuning fork? And at the, simultaneously, they are all tuned to each other. But if they try to tune to one another, at some point, one of them will be out of tune. But if everyone tunes to the one tuning fork, which is Jesus Christ, we will naturally be tuned to one another. So we must turn our eyes upon Jesus. I wrote... I love writing poetry. I wrote some, I think it's, there's a few throughout, but I wrote, some preach 10 steps to a better life. Some preach how to love your wife. Some preach ways to increase your light. But I cry, give to me the Christ. We preach Christ because there's nothing else worth talking about. Paul said, Colossians 128, him we preach. And the tragedy in most uh churches around America, we'll just leave it in that context, is that we have religion, but we have no Christ. He is not worshipped. He is not preached. He is not source and substance. His name is only a passing phrase to leverage man's agenda. His word is taken hostage and twisted to Christless societal ideologies. His, his word is used out of context to elevate the creature over the creator. But we, home church, we, by the grace of Almighty God, we will preach Christ. We will love him. We will preach the whole counsel of God. We will be, he will be magnified in our midst. His name will be set apart as holy. And we will proclaim his person and his work to the end of the world. And the greatest danger, I believe this was Leonard Ravenhill, the greatest danger is a Christless Christianity. To leave him out is to miss the entire thing. You, could, you can still leave him out while mentioning his name. We can still have the Christian language and miss Jesus. We must set our hearts to truly behold him and resolve in our souls to say, Lord, if I do not have you, I have nothing. No matter how much material increase we have in our life, if we do not have Christ, we are bankrupt. We have nothing. So we must see him. We must experience him. We must savor his words and his presence. I was washing uh, dishes the other day uh, when I got home from Wednesday Bible study, and the Lord said, low views of me are the greatest hindrance to the spiritual life. Low views of God will hinder you at every turn. We don't make strides in maturity. We don't make strides in our conformity to the image of Christ when we bring Christ low. We must see him as the all-sufficient one that is high above. You mention it, and he's better. He's better than that. Oh, you know a king? He's the king of kings, right? You know a lord who has rulership over a certain area? Well, he's the Lord of Lords. He's high above. He's God Almighty. High above. We must keep him high. High in our vision. And I'll touch on this further at the end, but humility is the key to experiencing Christ's all-sufficiency. The only way we recognize Christ as all is when we recognize we are not. <laughs> When we acknowledge that we don't have it all together, that's the only reason we could go to Christ and say, Christ, you have it all together. 
and you could help me have it all together. And truthfully, that is the continuation of our life. We come to him. Come boldly before the throne of grace in your time of need, right? So the only thing that hinders people from not coming to his throne is by not thinking that you're needy. But every one of us is needy. No matter we've been walking with the Lord for 50 years or 15 minutes, we are needy because we have not exhausted the inexhaustible Christ. And we never will. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> you know why eternity's forever? Because we're going to be looking at the inexhaustible Christ forever. Because we'll never find an end. So I want to look at three things of Christ and his sufficiency. I want to look at his person. I want to look at his work and his benefits. So his person, this is who he is in his character and uh, in his offices, the, the place, uh, his titles, if you will. So he is the sovereign providential one. His so the Bible says his sovereignty rules over all. All things are his servants. He works everything after the counsel of his own will, and not one of his plans will be thwarted. Let me think about this for a moment. Anything Christ has set in his heart to do, there is nothing anyone in any realm of any universe can do to stop what he's planning on doing. That brings peace to my soul because I'm his. Are you his? We have nothing to worry about. He's got this whole thing in a bag. He's got it. There's nothing to worry about. Charles Spurgeon said, sovereignty is the pillow upon which the Christian lays his head. <laughs> this is why we can fall asleep at night with rest in our souls, because my God is in control. Praise God. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word it was the name for the Son, the pre-incarnate Christ. He was the Word, made flesh. He is God. The Word was God. He is Creator. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything was made that was made. This is Jesus, our all-sufficient Christ. Everything that you see in nature that exists came by His hand. He is Shepherd. He is the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep, and he leads us in the way of everlasting. He is priest, not a priest. He is the priest, the high priest. He has applied the blood in the heavenly holy places and secured an eternal redemption for his people. He is prophet, not a prophet. He's the prophet. For he only says what the Father is saying, and he declared the end from the beginning. <laughs> There's never been a more accurate prophet than Jesus. He is king. He is the king of kings. As Revelation says, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Christ is the Lamb of God, the perfect substitute. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The perfect and only substitute that could have worked the work of redemption, that is Jesus. The perfect sinless God-man came and was born with the very purpose of dying. When he had talked with the Father and the Spirit in eternity past, and they had determined that they would redeem men, Christ was like, I will do it. I will go and redeem them. And he did not, it didn't slow him down for a second. He didn't think, ah, you know what? I'm really enjoying this, what we got here, Father. Spirit, we're really, we're, you know, we're good, right? <laughs> we don't need anything. But he subjected himself not only to becoming a man, right? That would be humiliating enough for God to become a man. 
but he came, became a seed in the womb of a woman. The almighty, all-sufficient one became the seed in the womb of a woman. Became dependent upon his creation. Subjected himself to a mother who would raise him. He was obedient to his creation. When his mother told him to do something, he obeyed his mom. Christ is humiliated not, not in the sense of just being shamed. He was shamed. But humiliated talks about his, from the heights on which he exists to the depths in which he came. If we were to become an ant, it's not even close to the distance that creator God became becoming a man. That is his great humiliation, his condescension. Is this not love? <laughs> oh, I love Jesus. The highest one became the lowest one. Praise God. He came from the heights of heaven and went to the depths of hell. He who descended also ascended that he might fill all in all. Who is this Jesus? Lord, help us to see you. He is bridegroom. Did you not know that your maker is your husband? As John says here, John the Baptist, right before our text, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. So us as, as leaders and pastors, you guys don't belong to us. We are just friends of the bridegroom. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. I think one of the things that many people overlook with and, and even a, a vain desire for ministry is that we've been entrusted with the care of someone else's wife. And he will come back and rescue her. And all of us will give an account for how we handled another man's wife. It's a high call. Praise God. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. This means, again, there's nothing to worry about. The one who created everything is the lover of your soul. <laughs> he is king and he is husband. Therefore, there is no need to worry. For if you're married to the king, everything the king does is for you, on behalf of you. Even his judgments and his wrath are looked at as glorious when you're married to the king because it's not aimed at you. <laughs> it's aimed at everything that would stand between you and him. Praise God. Number two, it's his work. I won't spend as much time on, on this one because it's just so <laughs> inexhaustible as well. What he's done, past, present, and future, obviously creation is on his resume. You ever read Genesis? <laughs> That's on Jesus' resume. <laughs> why, why do we look in other places? Why do we look for fulfillment in other things? He's glorious, guys. If I could just prick your heart and provoke you to say, you know what? I haven't seen you, Lord, as glorious, but I want to. I pray that that would send you on the trip of a lifetime <laughs> to experience him in ways that you've never experienced. The one who laid hands on the sick was upholding the universe by the word of his power at the exact same time. He is creator, creation is on his resume. All of redemptive history now, this is not just the unfolding of the gospel as told in Matthew 
in his life, in his, in his incarnation, in his life, in his death, resurrection, and ascension, in the giving of the Spirit. But it is from eternity past, in the counsel of God, where they determined before they created the world that they would redeem the men that they made when they rebelled. Redemption was not a reaction by God. When Adam fell, he wasn't like, oh gosh, what do we do now? We got to figure out a plan. No, no, he knew it. He knew it was going to happen. Guys, do you understand that this removes every anxiety of its anchor in your life? Every fear can be removed by recognizing that God knows the thoughts in your mind before you think it. He knows the, before a word is on your tongue, he knows what you're about to say. Before you face something, he's seen it. He is simultaneously, mind blow moment, he is simultaneously at the wedding supper of the Lamb and in the garden of, of Eden with Adam. He is outside of space and time. He knows where, where this, all, this whole thing is heading because he declared the end from the beginning, praise God. <laughs> the cross is the culmination of redemptive history. It's the pinnacle where all of the promises in the garden that, that the seed of the woman would crush, crush the seed of the serpent. Every covenant with Adam and Abraham and, and Moses and reiterated you know, to Isaac and Jacob and everybody. The covenants to Noah and the patriarchs and the prophets. Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. And he fulfilled them all perfectly. He did not leave anything out. He is all sufficient. <laughs> Every single thing that was set forth in the plan of God, Christ fulfilled. When you read the Old Testament and you're reading the prophecies, be very slow to make them about you and your uh, situation. First and foremost, they are fulfilled in the person of Christ. Before you look at the story of you know, David and Goliath and you're like, Lord, help me be David to slay my Goliath. No, no, Christ is the true David <laughs> that slayed the Goliath and cut off his head. Christ is Noah's ark <laughs> who saves us for the flood waters of the judgment and wrath of God. He's the ark of safety. See him. Jesus said, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life. But Jesus said, the scriptures speak of me and you will not come to me that you might have life. Every time we read this beautiful Bible, we must come with the realization that Christ is trying to come through this window into our reality to let us see one more beautiful facet of the diamond that is his person. He is glorious. Praise God. And his work uh, in redemptive, redemptive history will be culminated in his return. When he comes and he judges the living and the dead, and he sets all things right and leaves no stone unturned. I thank God that he does this. I thank God that he has set it in his heart not to let sin run on forever. He will not let the disease of sin run on and plague his people forever. For though we have the power of sin has been broken in our life since coming to Christ, the presence of sin is still here. But one day, the presence of sin will be eradicated. Praise God. Every aspect of Christ, we're going to look at his benefits now. Every aspect of Christ must be seen as lovely. Must be seen as beautiful. Even the things you don't fully understand about him. When we read the word of God, we must not take anything and say, I don't really like that. I don't really like that, Jesus. 
I'm just going to put it over here. Not going to deal with it. We must take every single thing because he is altogether lovely. If you take one thing out, you no longer actually have the Jesus that can save. So when you say, oh, you know, Jesus, I don't like that you have wrath. I'm just not going to deal with that. Well, then you don't have Jesus. I don't like that you're going to judge everyone at the end of the world. And we will all give an account for our lives. Well, then you don't have the Jesus of the Bible. And therefore, you don't have the Jesus that can save you. We must have all of him. And when you see him rightly, those things become beautiful to you. you the fear of man is stripped from your life, and the fear of God is installed into your soul. And we say, oh my gosh. Do you know that in Revelation, the bride begins to worship Jesus around his judgments? The bride turns and says, oh, how wonderful are your judgments. Hallelujah. Imagine we were in here singing about, you're going to slay the wicked, Lord. I love you for that. You know, that's, that's going to happen. That's going to come from your mouth one day if you're a believer. We must come to terms with this and say, Jesus, I don't have it all together. I, I, I don't have a full understanding of why this must be. But you are true and every man a liar. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. His benefits. <laughs> salvation. His name means salvation. He is indeed salvation. Salvation is not just an accomplishment he worked out, but by virtue of the fact that he is salvation in his person, we are saved to the uttermost. He is the gospel. Thomas Watson said, he, Jesus, is the crown of the gospel. If the gospel is the field, then Christ is the pearl hidden in the field. If the gospel is a ring, then Christ is the diamond in that ring. To remove Christ from the gospel is to remove the goodness of the news. I'm slowing down a little bit today. I just feel the, I feel the presence of the Lord. I want these things to sink in. We say things and we, we hear things and we just move on really quickly. And it doesn't just go to the place that it needs to go in our hearts. He is salvation. And the inheritance of his saints is salvation. And it is not something he does apart from his own person. The fact that you have salvation means that you have Jesus. He didn't give you something external from him. He actually gave himself to you. Therefore, you are saved. Joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. The Bible says that he was anointed with the oil of joy above all his companions because he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. Are you looking for why you have a lack of joy in your life? One, you either don't know Jesus, or two, you have not set your heart as Christ did to love righteousness and hate wickedness. For this is the source of joy. He is the source of joy. Life. He who has the Son has life. 1 John 5.12 Because Jesus is life. John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is very existence itself. He is the one that holds it all together. It says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That if he lets go, we all just disappear. He hung the earth on nothing. <laughs> and it is, it is where it is because his word continues to proceed from his mouth. Praise God. 
he is above all. He who comes from above is above all. Do you need peace? He is the prince of peace. Do you need rest? He said, come to me. I will give you rest. Love. He has laid down his life in your stead. For there is no greater love than this, than one would lay their life down for their friends. And this is what Jesus did for us. Healing. Do you need healing? By his stripes you are healed. Do you need protection? The Lord is a shield and a fortress and strikes down all our enemies. Let me, let me touch. It's always the sensitive, it's always the sensitive topic. The, the wrath of God, the judgment, judgments of God. It's very much under attack right now in the body of Christ. Do you long for a day where evil will be no more? Yes. Where sin will no longer have its grip? Yes. There's only one thing that can deal with sin. It's the wrath of God. That's why the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. Because he who knew no sin became sin. And the wrath of God was poured out on the Son. It's the only thing that can destroy sin. So do you long for a world without evil men, sin, and pain? Well, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. And he will throw them into the lake of fire, along with the devil and the hordes of hell and death itself. Praise God for his wrath. This is why we preach the gospel. This is motivation. This is what John said, flee from the wrath to come. Run to the loving arms of Christ before it is too late. This is why when we look look you in the eye, maybe you don't know Jesus, and we look you in the eye and tell you the heights which Christ had gone to redeem and set you free. And we have tears in our eyes telling you about the love of Christ set forth on the cross. It's because we know that if you reject him to your end, this will be your portion. Because he will not let the disease of sin torment his bride forever when the one on the white horse comes all things he won't leave one stone unturned and we will live forever with the Lord in perfect peace in perfect joy never again wrestling with the pull of the flesh never wrestling with the sinful desire we will be given new bodies. For we could not stand the fullness of the presence of God without new bodies. Praise God. And forever we will be with the Lord. Oh, I long for that day. And Peter says, do not count the Lord's slowness to return as slowness, but as patience. Not wishing that any should perish. So we preach the gospel. We lift Christ high in your hearing and in the hearing of those in this city and anyone that we come in contact anywhere else. We lift Christ high because number one, he is beautiful. If you see him, your entire life will change. You will actually become alive to the very thing that you were made for. It's through the enjoyment of God, glorifying him through the enjoyment of him. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the other fold of that is we don't want the people of this city, or maybe you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, we don't want this end for you to face the wrath of God. For it is terrifying. It's greater than anything that you could even imagine. And He is sufficient, He is glorious. 
We must see him rightly. His wrath should not put a damper on things. <laughs> his judgments should not put a damper on things. We should say, Christ, oh, how lovely are your judgments. Oh, that you would have such a high view of your people that you would deal with anything that would stand in between our love. Praise God. Do you need strength? The Lord is the strength of his people. Do you need deliverance? Jesus is a deliverer. He's the deliverer. Do you need freedom? Well, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you desire to be led? The Lord is the good shepherd that leads us in the way of everlasting. Do you desire a word from the Lord? <laughs> he is the word. <laughs> Do you desire satisfaction? Jesus says, anyone who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. God's people are always satisfied. Do you desire pleasure? Again, he is pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611, you lead me in the path to life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. These are not ambiguous pleasures, but it says that when Christ ascended, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So the pleasures at the right hand of God are the person of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Find your pleasure in him. I'm telling you, if we could find a superior pleasure in Christ, all the sin issues in your life will go away. He is the fulfillment. Look at him and say, Lord, I repent for finding fulfillment in lesser pleasures. And then spend all of your days looking to enjoy the never-ending pleasures of Christ. This is the remedy. This is the remedy. Praise you, God. We could have the, uh, the worship team uh, join me. Now, there are things, there are things about Jesus that we can comprehend why we need him for those things. And then there are aspects of Jesus that we don't even know that we need. And yet he is that thing for us. This isn't about cerebrally, mentally wrapping our mind around his all-sufficiency, but humbly submitting ourselves to his all-sufficiency. It it's a recognition of his all-sufficiency and saying, Christ, I, I recognize that you are all in all. That everything that was placed in me as a need is there because it's supposed to find its climax in you, its pinnacle in you. I, all of us have a need to eat bread, but Christ says, I am bread that comes down from heaven because Christ is the true fulfillment of that need. Do you need, are you thirsty? He is water, living water, the fountain that never runs dry. We must see him as all-sufficient. He who comes from above is above all. And because we do not know what we truly need, I thank God that he does. And he is the very thing that we need. We could recognize that something's wrong we can get that inclination like there's something wrong I can't really put my finger on it if you can't even voice that thing that you need come to Jesus he will be the fulfillment of that thing that unspoken thing that thing you can't even articulate he will be the fulfillment to that thing
our friend Eric Gilmore, he says, do you desire good things? There is none good but him. Do you desire blessing? Who is more blessed than Jesus? Do you desire power? Who is more powerful than the Son of God? Do you desire spiritual heights? Is he not the pinnacle? Do you desire riches? They are all hidden in him. Do you desire wisdom? He is the wisdom from before the world began. Do you desire friendship? He is closer than a brother. Do you desire help? Who can help you but him? Do you seek joy? He is anointed with the oil of joy. Do you seek comfort? Just come to him. Do you seek peace? He is the Prince of Peace. Do you seek life? Can anyone else be life to you? Do you need a husband? Who can love you more deeply than Jesus? Do you seek a father? Who will love you more faithfully than Jesus? Do you desire beauty? What is more attractive than Jesus? Christ, all-sufficient, ever-present, you're the heavenly remedy in peace or calamity. I come to you, whether pain or storm, cold or warm, mountaintop winds or backsliding sins, I come to you, all-sufficient Jesus. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.